Hey, welcome back to part two of Threesomes and Hitmen. All right, so let me just recap really fast for you. Our last episode, we took a look at a doctor who just attempted suicide after the FBI interviewed him about threesomes and hitmen with his girlfriend. His He wants to kidnap his ex-wife and drug her. He wants to break the hands of another doctor that works in his medical facility. There's a whole bunch of mayhem yeah, going we, on. So we if, spoke about this extensively in our last episode. So highly recommend you don't jump into part two before you talk. Uh, sorry, listen to part one. Yeah, so I do recommend rewinding and listening to the other one if this is what you're jumping in on because it is humorous and just crazy. So we left you on the doctor tries to commit suicide. The, they just opened his safe and inside the safe, there's a sticky note with his username and password with all, it was the same username that was on the dark web making or asking questions and trying to find a hitman to hurt his former coworker and to kidnap and drug his ex-wife. So, right. So, you want to take this one or no go ahead okay so dr shitbag um on the 12th tried to commit suicide what he had done and this the, the uh the uh the deputies found him this way uh they found him lying on the ground with a black eye unconscious on the kitchen floor i'm not clear as to how the black eye occurred unless he was maybe when he fell he whacked his face um the, uh, the officer there located a medication sheet inside the home indicating there were approximately 46 missing pills of Xanax. So he overdosed on Xanax. Uh, in the kitchen area where the doctor was found, uh, the deputy observed an apparent suicide note, which was next to a business card for FBI agent Baker. Um, was it Baker or Barker? I think it's Barker. And the suicide note contained the following messages to both witness one, his girlfriend, and victim two, his ex-wife. To witness one. And notice that she was first, Keith. I think that was interesting. I love you with everything I have. I'm sorry. Please remember the good. I love no other more than you. I thought that was interesting. And to victim two, the ex-wife, I loved you also. But you mocked <laughs> my love. You made fun of it. Why? You laugh with your family and coworkers. Please care for whoever their son is, a minor child, and love him like I do. The other side of the suicide note contained the following message, which appears to be addressed more generally. I am about to drift off to sleep. I pray that God forgives me. I pray with all my heart that he does. And he did capitalize the he. How pious of him. I did this not for me, but for all of you. You can move on faster and easier and quicker. I just wanted to norm back, but I don't know what that means. Uh, but I couldn't see the path. I fucked it up. Irreparable fuck up. To victim two, uh, if it is allowed in my will, please share half with witness one, his girlfriend, somehow. She deserved that. To his wife, you have a big heart that I destroyed. So there's a lot of contradictions in there, right? He's basically telling his girlfriend, I love you the most. His ex-wife, I love you also, but you were mean to me, so I love you less. Please take care of our kid. 
And then, by the way, can you give half of our shit to the girlfriend? That'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, he's a piece of work. Okay, so. Continuing on. He. So legally, when somebody tries to commit suicide, they can say this is a, a state of mind type of thing. And that's sort of what they did in the court pa paperwork here. They're saying he must have been really telling us the truth because he thought he was going to die at the moment. So these notes that he left for his girlfriend and ex-wife are probably, you know, we can rely on them as um, uh, important evidence. So with that, they basically took the, took the fact that he tried to commit suicide and he then wrote these notes and they just used that against him. So if it wasn't enough that he kept talking without a lawyer at the airport and then opened his safe and gave him the sticky note with his username and password, now they have these suicide letters that show his state of mind or, or show show his, his um, thought of guilt. All right, so now that the FBI has his username and his password, they, through a search warrant, can then access his SCAR215 account on the dark web. So when they did, they found the same darn messages that the news organization provided earlier. Uh, for you listeners that are on our video on YouTube, I'm showing you an example or the screenshot of these messages and a little bit's redacted the, the names and stuff aren't in there, but you can see like there's a blue box and it says victim names. And basically I'm not going to read it to you again, but it's all that stuff that Seth and I just read to you where he says, Oh, this target destroyed two families. I want this and that her hurt, her dad, her dog slaughtered her son on heroin and all that horrible, horrible stuff that we saw him talking about earlier. So that's one website. Another dark website, we see again, all that same stuff that you see him repetitively saying about his ex-wife, you know, the son, the dog, and so forth. So you can see here that the, it's not just he accidentally said the wrong thing and he actually wanted to commit suicide. It's, he's really after his former coworker and his ex-wife. And when the FBI goes in and it's not secondhand evidence anymore, when they go in and actually pull the messages themselves using his username and password, it's all true. You know, all the stuff that the news organization said to them, it's all true. And there's actually a third uh, website as well that they have a screenshot. And this is the one with like the Bitcoin escrow and so forth. So now I'm going to let you take the next slide, Seth, which is the legal side of stuff. Yeah, so a complaint was filed by the government um, on April 16th. So things moved pretty quickly after they after his return trip from Mexico um, and the interviews and the, the subsequent raiding of his home and his attempted suicide on April 12th. Uh, four days later, we have charges and penalties against the doctor, Dr. Ronald Craig Ilg, Dr. Shitbag, as we're calling him, for a felony. Only one count, though, on attempted kidnapping. 
Um, and the penalty on that is heavy duty, right? It's not more than 20 years and or a $250,000 fine and not more than three years of supervised release and a $100 special penalty, et cetera. I think it's funny. These assessments are so minute. <laughs> um, but that is, you know, kidnapping was the only charge here uh, uh, for this specific um, instance, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, that was on April 16th. So if we fast forward to May 4th, the indictment, the first indictment comes out. And right. this is right. just, yeah, this is just one count, the same one that Seth just read to you. But that was in May of 2021. In February of 2022, a superseding indictment came out and it had a whole bunch more counts. And let me go through these with you. There's counts one and four, which is threats in interstate commerce, which is basically this is like part of a federal thing. It's going across state lines. Counts two and five are cyber stalking. Count three is attempted kidnapping, which I believe was the count one last time. There are two counts here, six and seven, which I thought were really interesting, which was attempted damage to a protected computer and tampering with a witness. Now, if you've heard our previous episodes, you know we've explained protected computers. It's sort of a legal term. Almost all computers out there are protected computers because they connect to the internet and they talk across state lines. So if you ever hear us say protected computers, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's just, just old-fashioned terminology that the government uses for that. And by the way, there's also a misdemeanor associated with it for forfeiture allegations, but I'm not familiar with that issue. Yeah, I'm not so much either. Uh, but the other one, count seven, was... Uh, tampering with witness. So right, I said, which we haven't heard with prior. About? That's new, right? <laughs> okay, so let's talk about count six, which is the uh, protected computer. So beginning on or about March eighth of twenty one. So again, this is before his Mexico trip through March nineteenth uh, in Washington using the uh, the <laughs> the Scar two one five AKA. Uh, intentionally attempted to cause a transmission of a program information code and command with intent to cause damage without authorization to a protected computer, all in violation of a specific uh, U.S. statute. So, Keith, can you kind of translate that for us real quick? That means he essentially tried to do what? Uh, essentially took something like malware and put it on somebody's computer. Um, I'm guessing... I don't recall the details on this, but I'm guessing he's probably probably surveilling his ex-wife or one of the women in this case. Because that's so what we're saying. That's is, what the wording sounds like here, right? In addition to all the crimes that we've seen him try to commit, clearly there was a couple other things out there, and one we've heard nothing about is the next count, count seven, which is witness tampering. So we learned that on or about July 10th of 21. So at this point, he's clearly incarcerated. Um, did knowingly, or the, the uh, defendant, uh, Dr. Craig Ilg, Dr. Shitbag, um, also known as SCAR215, did knowingly attempt to corruptly persuade Witness 1, who was his girlfriend, with the intent to cause and induce Witness 1 to withhold testimony from an official proceeding, to wit, the United States versus Ronald Craig Ilg, which is also a violation of U.S. code. Uh, that's interesting to me that um, he had the balls to actually attempt to get her to not talk while he was incarcerated. Yeah. Oh, this guy just never stops. So now we're talking August 10th, 2022, just a little while ago. 
he pleads guilty. So he pleads guilty to the first four counts of the superseding indictment that we talked about. He does not admit to the other accounts, but he says that with with his first victim, the victim with uh, the the other doctor and his his coworker, he paid approximately two thousand dollars in Bitcoin for a quote unquote hitman to assault them. Break her hands. Yeah, and then he said he became frustrated when he didn't receive confirmation of the assault. He goes on to say, you know, he when he was talking to the person, he said, I was saying, I would like to see evidence that it happened. If it goes well, I have another more complicated job, which is the ex-wife job, an entirely different target with entirely different objectives. So I put this in here to tell you about this, which is I think he's realizing that he got scammed on the first one. And that's how those messages sounded in the last episode where I was like, they asked him for some money and then they're kind of like, ah, oh, the hitman can't get started till you put more money in there. And it just sounded like they were just pushing more and more money out of him. And it sounds like he recognized the fact that he was probably getting scammed at this point on the first, the, the first of the hitman experiences that he went on. So this is court documents giving, again, you know, repeating the information that he had posted all over the dark web regarding uh, his, his uh, kidnapping scheme. But as part of the scheme, the defendant also suggested the hitman should use any and all means necessary, including but not limited to threatening to severely beat victim to her, her ex, ex-wife's uh, father, slaughtering the victim's dog, and threatening to cause victim two's older son, so I guess there was another child involved, to become addicted to heroin. So it's pretty, like, awful stuff there, right? Like, not only am I going to go do this to you, but I'm going to go uh, beat up your dad kill your dog and cause your older son to become a heroin addict. So clearly he was really upset that she had the nerve to uh, divorce him. Um, really a screwed up situation here. I'm just shaking my head. Yeah. The, the whole thing is just crazy. Hey Keith, did I mention by the way that he wanted her injected with heroin twice a day and that she needed to learn to do it by herself. <laughs> Oh, well, he, she had to be taught. She had to be, taught, to be taught by the hitman. You need evidence that she could be taught. Otherwise, the money's going to stay in escrow. You don't get paid on that part. I'm sorry. I'm being silly. Uh, and, he, you know, he goes on and he, part of his plea agreement, it says, while attempting to have her kidnapped. Oh, I'm holding my head for the <laughs> for those of you that are just on audio. While he's attempting to have her kidnapped, he also solicited a hacker on the dark web to hack into her electronic devices and accounts to quote unquote infect her computer. So it's not usable to delete all her files in her phone and on her computer to access her cameras and delete everything and plant messages. And in his estranged wife's electronic devices indicating she was using drugs, he paid approximately $3,000 in Bitcoin to dark web hackers, which advertise this ability to hack into the social media accounts of whatever victim you give them. This must be the count six. This must be that whole, um, yeah, you know, uh, and, yeah. And that's why I think with that language that he's trying to not, you know, I read into that. He's also trying to surveil and figure out what it is that she's doing. You know, he wants to monitor her, her too, which makes me think 
there's some kind of malware component to this. Right. So at this part of the document, the court documents, rather, it does a really good job of kind of consolidating the actual crime here and how they associated the technology of the crime uh, with the actual user and how they kind of put those two things together. So I'm going to read this because it's really good. The defendant's Bitcoin transactions further corroborated that he is SCAR215, that he paid approximately $60,000 in Bitcoin to harm his victims. Notably, the defendant conducted nearly all of his transactions on the dark web through one specific wallet. So he didn't even take the, he wasn't really a cyber criminal. He was just using cyber crime means because he wasn't really uh, good at this. <laughs> uh, he used one specific wallet, a Bitcoin wallet the FBI recovered from information inside the defendant's biometric safe. Blockchain records, which document each Bitcoin transaction. Remember, that's the other side of Bitcoin, right? Everything is documented. That's what the blockchain is. Uh, demonstrate the defendant funded this wallet with money from his Coinbase.com account, which, again, is a very up and up, very commonly used cryptocurrency um, uh, account. The defendant also made deposits into his Bitcoin wallet from ATMs in Spokane, Washington, where the defendant was captured on camera making the deposits. And from the ATM kiosks, the defendant's money went directly into the same Bitcoin wallet. From there, the money went directly to purported hitmen. There was no wash attempts to wash or to uh, hide the transactions here. There was no aliases. This was as very simple as figuring out, you know, how you got paid and how you went and got and bought something. Now, while in custody, yeah. the defendant attempted to tamper with at least one of the witnesses. We heard about this. This is count seven. Begging a key witness to marry him so he could have control over whether she would testify. That's the marriage exclusion, which basically states that your spouse doesn't have to um, testify against you. It's a federal law. Uh, and if the witness did so, defendant offered to pay tuition for her children to attend a private school. He was basically bribing her. Uh, and the defendant then directed the witness to burn evidence of his efforts to then tamper with the witness, which is also another crime. Oh, my God, Seth. Do you know what that makes me think of? What's that? Thank you for the important laugh of the day. All right. Okay, and one other thing that I want to um, discuss is he also has a no contact order with his uh, victim one and victim two. That's part of his plea agreement, which is probably a good thing based on the fact that he right, wanted to includes, drug one of them. Right. Anything on phone, email, mail, text, video, social, any contact, any third parties, all going to be illegal. Yep. So what did they get, Keith? All right. So now it is January 25th, 2023. So this year he is sentenced eight years. So he got 48 months to count one, 48 to count four, and they're consecutive. And then when he gets out, he has three years of supervised release and he has a $200 assessment. He has 25, just over $25,000 restitution. He has a $100,000 fine. And the restitution looks like it is split the between the two victims. Like one of yeah. them is about $15,000 and the other one's close to $10,000. So he didn't steal any money here, which is why I think his, uh, you know, his, his financial hit is, is fairly low here. 
Um, what's interesting to me is the consecutive versus concurrent. So when you hit with multiple crimes, if uh, they're kind of related and more importantly, if they're nonviolent, usually a court will let you run them concurrent because it costs the state money to house somebody or the government, the federal government, if it's a federal prison, you know, money to house you, right? So if you've got like four crimes and, you know, it's a combined 12 years, they might let you, you know, run them concurrently, right? So you only do half the time or what have you. He was told specifically he's running these consecutive. So it's 48 months for count one and 48 months for count four, and they're not concurrent. They're one after the other. So he will be in prison for quite a while. Yeah, and if we're talking eight years, that's on level of our ID theft gang from Florida. If you remember the group of ladies, I think they were in the realm of eight to ten years for their Right, but they got away well. with their crime. They actually were committing this crime. This crime was all in the conspiracy too. He never actually if he obviously had gone through with the hit, you know, with the kind yeah. of kidnapping or the actual assault, this would have been quite a bit more. So that's why this was still eight years but not you know in the 96 year <laughs> um yeah. situation which is what it would have been or something crazy like that all right so, so i guess the moral of the story here is just don't name yourself after a deceitful lion who killed his brother and then died yeah i mean and the, you know wikipedia tells us right scar survived right at the end of the uh the uh very hamlet-esque um, Lion King movie, but he was then cornered by the vengeful hyenas, who he blamed the whole thing on, who then literally ate him alive for betraying them, ending his threat to Simba and his family for good. I happen to think when I watched that movie, I'm like, that's pretty dark. Um, I think the moral of the story is don't be a shitbag doctor who uh, gets that upset with your spouse when she wants to leave you after you choose to bring a third person into the relationship and you're clearly a womanizing douchebag. But <laughs> what do I know? That's just crazy to me. So what did we learn here, Keith? Well, this isn't a huge surprise to you. If you've listened to our prior episodes, you can pretty much buy anything on the dark web. But here we're talking the caveat about, to that? <laughs> here we're talking about breaking people's hands and drugging ex-wives and all that kind of stuff. But plus the heroin. You can, Don't forget the heroin several the times heroin. a day. Yep. But you can easily get ripped off on the dark web, too. Yeah, as you noted, we're pretty sure that Dr. Uh, Ill did get burned by uh, Victim 1's hitman. Um, also, this one was interesting. There was really very little sleuthing the detectives had to do here. Most of the evidence here was directly self-incrimination. There was no fancy TOR investigation techniques here. Um, anonymizers, TOR, the dark web were no match for just giving up the information that identifies you through your list of enemies. So here he had the password and username on a sticky in his um, uh, in his uh, biometric safe. And there was no uh, aliases in his accounts. There was only one account used on his Bitcoin as wallet. This was really, really a straight up and down case. He admitted it before he was even arrested in the interview initially, which I thought was interesting also. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that the FBI used his username and password to collect evidence. It just seemed very, um, I mean, maybe they do it all the time, but it just seemed like a very not correct way to collect <laughs> evidence to log in to that person's name. I, I mean, I, don't, I guess they don't really have any other option. If yeah, it's out say, there what else could they do? Unless and, they could, you know, subpoena the entire site. And I'm not sure that, you know, you can get that subpoena 
well, you might get that. I'm not sure you're going to get any cooperation from a dark web, you know, location. And Coinbase is so broad. I'm sure that was too big. So, I mean, yeah, I'm assuming that as long as they had a right blocker, they could just go in there and, and pull what they wanted. And the last note is naming yourself after Lion King's brother Scar is bad luck. We For saw sure. it with the doctor in this time. Undoubtedly. So, that was a fun case. Do you have any thoughts? After uh, part two, Seth? Uh, no, I mean, I thought that was an interesting case because it was a little bit different from our usual um, subjects, right? This was not a young you know, kid who was trying to make a few bucks. It wasn't somebody who was an unsophisticated person, at least in terms of, you know, uh, socially, you know, society, right? It was, uh, you know, a very well-regarded wealthy doctor who I guess was trying to do really bad stuff, thinking he'd be slick and do it through the dark web versus, say, Pat the Bat. Uh, our prior um, violence as uh, a service subject. Um, but really, really evil shit. I mean, you know, really evil. And somebody who was so enraged that he was mentally unstable, I would argue, which means I'm not sure I'd want him delivering babies either. Like, you know, we didn't talk about, like, was he still actively working at the hospital at this point? I would assume he was. And I, that also is quite scary. Yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, that first coworker had that complaint and it sounds like he may have, he was probably working, but I, I imagine probably not the same place. Yeah. Uh, fascinating case, uh, very entertaining case, but I mean, not to make light of, I'm sure it was quite scary to the ex-wife and the girlfriend to be realizing this guy's a monster. So, um, uh, but really, really great stuff. I, I enjoyed this one just because it was interesting. Yeah. And Hey, if you like it, I'm talking to our listeners now. If you like this type of case, we've got more wild cases like this one coming. I try to pick cases that aren't, you haven't heard 800 other ways. I try to pick things that you probably haven't heard of. And I try to pick cases that have really interesting components like threesomes and hitmen. So with that, if you'd like to contact us, uh, you know, talk about these episodes or just say hi, hit our website. It's ecrimebytes, E-C-R-I, M E B Y is in yellow milk T E S dot com. And up across the top, we got a bunch of links. Um, you know, the, I talked about in ep, part one that, um, I've got that new link up there. that says nibbles and that's just a bunch of, um, real quick couple minutes worth of, um, videos on just different cases that I find that you might find interesting too. So, Please do jump on our website. If you're listening to this on a podcasting app, please subscribe. So that way, you know, each week when we publish one of these things, you're the first to know about it. And please leave us a positive review if you liked our episode. Or any review. And We're open. <laughs> well, that's open. I like positive reviews. I like positive, too. <laughs> the negative might be interesting. Keith, take us out of here. You know, you and I probably have a different um, description of what domestic bliss looks like. But then Dr. Dr. Uh, Ilg uh, Douchebag, but I think we have a clip for that. Oh, you're talking about the... Um, uh, Sorry, I'm upside down. That's some domestic bullshit right there. Yes, that's the one I'm thinking about. Thank you. <laughs> <very much. laughs> All right, and with that, hey, please do not freeze your milk, and if you do, please do not drink it afterwards, yeah. and we'll see you on episode 11 next week. Thanks. Bye. Thanks all.
Light it, bro. Light it, light it. Light it, light it, light it. Fucking light it. Bro, pick it up. Free! 